Welcome to Two Nerds in a Movie. I am Matt. And here's Danny. Hey. <laughs> See what you did there. Very good, sir. Yeah, man. How are you, freshly faced Dan the man waiting or waiting? I don't know. Maybe you are waiting. Uh, you're here with us. How are you? How was your week? Uh, it's going really well. And as you noticed, definitely more streamlined and uh, ready to be aerodynamic and We'll go right into this uh, with uh, Jack Nicholson today. <laughs> yes, today's episode is all about the legend that is Jack Nicholson. Now, um, as you're watching this, his birthday was earlier in the week, or maybe when, when I don't even know when it was. It was the beginning of the week. Second. Yep, twenty second. The chair says the twenty second. <laughs> um. And then, of course, I realized right after that Al Pacino's birthday was like a couple days later, who's another huge legend that I've had I known, I probably honestly would have chosen Pacino over mm. Nicholson. But, you know, we'll definitely get to plenty of Pacino stuff as we go along. You can't do a show like this and not talk about Pacino. Um, but today's all about Nicholson. We're going to deep dive into his career. Um, before we do, did you do anything fun this week, sir? Did you... Uh... Um, not well, my, my wife has, we have a new addition to our family, baby, uh, what is it, a baby bearded dragon, bearded dragon. so we're uh, learning how to take care of that, how about you, sir? Um, I, uh, no, <laughs> I, uh, did not, <laughs> I did not, uh, get any dragons or beards, um, or I, lose one, <laughs> you lost a beard but gained a beard, so, yeah, true. Um, I did not do any of the sort. I, uh, just kind of more working and, you know, I've lived a very boring life these days. Uh, didn't get to do much. I did travel. I got to go back to Virginia over the weekend. Uh, saw my peeps there. Shout out to the Virginia peeps. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, other than that, um, just kind of another week, another week down. Um, hope to kind of get back to normal, not normal, but uh, get back to a s schedule this week and where I can like do what I do best. That's sit on my butt and watch movies and kind of catch up a little bit. I'm so far behind, although I did start watching um, Marvel uh, plus uh, Falcon Winter Soldier. Thank you. Falcon yeah. Winter Soldier. I watched the first episode when it dropped. Mm hmm. And I thought it was boring, like it didn't grab me. And I haven't gone back to it since. I've heard a lot of people tell me, hey, you need to go back and watch it. Because uh, while it's not the greatest thing they've ever done, it's still worth seeing. So uh, I did go back and restart that. And I'm on episode three now. And I like, I'm enjoying it better this second go around than maybe because I'm able to binge a little bit more and not just watch one and then wait a week. Um, I can't say uh, Kayla and I have uh, sat through and watched that entire season, and I would agree it does end up picking up and getting better as it goes on. Whereas WandaVision kind of like grabbed you from the front, this one you kind of build into it. So, but definitely worth a watch. Yeah, I love WandaVision. Um, if, if everything, if you give me all of WandaVision, you know, I'll take Damn 18 <laughs> seasons of that. But uh, I don't think we're getting anymore. Um, anyway, Jack Nicholson. Um, you have some notes. I think we're we're gonna 
kind of do like the films. We're both going to chime in about the films, but I'm going to kind of lead us through the films. You have some notes about his, we're not doing like a biography detail on him, but we're doing some, you know, you have some notes on his personal life a little bit. Do you want to kick us off? Uh, sure. So um, it's kind of hard to talk about Jack Nicholson's filmography without talking about how he got to where he was. Um, he was born in uh, on April 22nd, 1937 in Neptune, New Jersey, which happens to be the same area as Danny DeVito, which you will see them uh, also together later on in their career. Um, as far as his family, he was raised by a John Ethel May Nicholson, um, who he thought were his parents. Wow, ghost hat. Um, but anyways, uh, he thought they were his parents. It turns out later in life that they were actually his grandparents. He was raised to believe June Nicholson was his sister. That was actually his mother. She was an aspiring actress. Uh, again, later in life, he'll end up moving to uh, to be with her um, around where the show business is in California. And uh, he really, by where she was and everything else, kind of got him into that line of being an actor. So we'll bring that up a little bit later in the episode. Um, Can I, and you already know I'm going to do this. Can I uh, pause you right there? Let's just soak that in for a second. Uh, he was raised by people who throughout his entire life until he was well into his, what was it? Thirties? Mm-hmm. 30. I believe he was 32 or 33 when he finally found out. So until he was like 32 or 33, the people that he thought were his mom and dad were not his mom and dad. He learned that they were his grandparents and his big sister. Oh yeah. That's his mom. Can you, can you fathom that? Like, I, I can't picture that. Well, imagine going your whole life thinking one thing and then like, no, that's not it. This is actually it. This over here, this other thing that's like all topsy-turvy and twisted. This is actually what it is. So the terrible thing about this is that he wouldn't have known had it not been for Time Magazine doing an expose on him and kind of digging into his background. And when he did find out, unfortunately, his mother, um, biological mother, June, had passed away of cancer in 1963. And also his uh, grandmother, grandfather, had also passed away. So there was really no chance for closure to uh, to kind of reconcile with that for him. Yeah, like he, I mean, yeah, no closure. You learn this massive secret while you're doing an interview for Time Magazine about a film. And... Oh, by the way, how do you feel about your uh, sister actually being your mom? So he actually did answer that. He said, I'd say it was a pretty dramatic event, but what it wasn't, what I'd call traumatizing. Uh, Nicholson said that I was pretty well psychologically formed. As a matter of fact, it made quite a few things clear to me. If anything, I felt grateful. Um, definitely for the people that helped raise him, because again, uh, well into that point of his life, I think that he looked at his grandparents at that point as his actual parents. So he's grateful to have them in his life, um, but uh, definitely something to think about. Yeah, crazy. Um, well, how did he get us there? How did he get into... Uh... Sure. So again, as I stated earlier, he had ended up moving into uh, Los Angeles in 1954, where his sister had an apartment. 
Um, first off, he had worked at a toy store and somehow got involved with some folks at MGM, um, still a famous studio around today. And uh, under the MGM banner, um, you may know Hanna-Barber Studios, uh, the writers of uh, such um, shows as Scooby-Doo and Tom and Jerry. So he was actually, or he had a lot of sketching talents, and the animators on those shows um, really note of that they offered him a job in the art department and uh, he may have ended up drawing tom and jerry and scooby-doo however uh, an acting producer noticed that to him he was a very good looking guy he was young and he set him up for some uh, acting classes um, jeff corey's acting classes he got an apprenticeship at the famous players ring theater and after that he started getting picked up um, by directors and producers and everything else from there is pretty much history There you go, kids. Either way, today we might be talking about Jack Nicholson, except we might be saying, you know. Could be you. The guy that drew. <laughs> yes. Uh, the guy that drew Tom and Jerry or, or Scooby-Doo. Um, but instead, we're talking Jack Nicholson, the guy that uh, changed Hollywood as we know it. Um, what was um he met uh, you have the name he met someone um that kind of got him oh uh, yes roger corman roger corman um thank you um roger corman uh he met while he was doing theater and plays and things and corman liked him a lot and is corman for those who don't know and i only know because i did some research i don't know this just off the top of my head um was a was a big uh, name, big name, low budget filmmaker. Um, a lot of his what you call B movies, dog. Uh, um, B movies, you know, the straight to which then there wasn't even VHS, so straight to nothing. <laughs> um, those, but those those low budget, cheaply made movies, he was kind of the king of. Um, he was kind of. Uh, this generation's Kevin Smith, shall we say. Uh, Corman saw him and casted him in uh, his very first feature film, uh, The Crybaby Killer, in 1958. Now, so not only does he is he just doing plays and things and gets spotted and gets, you know, discovered, but the very first thing he's in, you know, a lot of actors, you don't see that. A lot of people, when they get discovered or whatever, or they're building up their career, they'll do little small parts in like movies, bigger movies or whatever. Um, no, not Jack. His first movie ever was a starring role. Uh, the Crybaby Killer came out in 1958. Um, he plays a teen uh, who mistakenly thinks that he's killed someone um, and ends up taking hostages. I meant what I said, Jimmy. It's all right for you to come out. He's lying. He's just saying that so I'll give up. Boy, that little baby ain't done you no harm. Shut up! Nobody's talking me out of here! Shut up and sit back where you belong, both of you! So, he did The Crybaby Killer in 58. Throughout the 60s, he did a lot of uh, low-budget movies, worked with uh, Corman again a couple times. Uh, he did The Little Shop of Horrors. Uh, he did uh, The Terror, The Raven, uh, Studs Lonigan, uh, Backdoor to Hell, Ride in the Whirlwind, The Shooting, 
um, you know, a lot. He did two episodes of the Andy Griffith show. Um, but his uh, breakthrough performance, the, the one that kind of, oh, this guy, this is a guy. This is this is someone big to pay attention to. 1969. So for a decade of doing just kind of small, low budget horror uh, things. 1969, he gets cast uh, as George Hansen, an alcohol, alcoholic uh, Southern lawyer uh, in Dennis Hopper's Easy Rider. These ain't no pork chops. These are U.S. Prime. I'm <laughs> Oh, I'd like to get over there. <laughs> how, long, uh, how long did you boys say it was going to take you to get down there? Uh, about two or three days. Two or three days, that right. Boy, I sure wish I was going with you. Yeah? You got a helmet? Oh. Oh, I've got a helmet. <laughs> um, also had Peter Fonda. Uh, Dennis Hopper was in it as well. Um, it got Nicholson his first nomination. Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor. And on that note, while we have you there, I did want to backtrack just a touch. So uh, at that point in Nicholson's career, um, I know you had mentioned briefly uh, Ride the Whirlwind. Um, that was actually scripted by Jack Nicholson himself. So he did dabble in uh, producing and uh, writing screenplays um, as well. So Kind of interesting, and also um, it's strange, and we'll talk about this later in some of the other movies, but just how you luck into certain roles, or for him, uh, again, this role, which really was his breakout role at 33 years old, um, the reason why he was casted, he was not originally casted to be um, George Hansen, but Rip Torn was, uh, recently deceased, um, Rip Torn, uh, but he had gotten, I know, I did want to put that in there, um, but uh, he had gotten in a fight with Dennis Hopper, which turned violent, so he was uh, removed from the set, and that kind of opened that up for uh, Mr. Jack Nicholson there, so interesting fact there. Yeah, um, so 33 Boys and Girls is when he's Easy Rider, his first breakout movie. I'm not even 33 yet. Like you mentioned a little bit ago, I could be Jack Nichols. <laughs> um, and we uh, and I apologize ahead of time if I'm looking off the screen or to the side. I got notes kind of everywhere. I got notes over here that you can't see. And I got notes down here that you can't see. Um, you know, just because I'm not the world's, you know, knowledgeable jack nicholson expert but i oh my gosh but that's a thing with jack nicholson we should have probably stated that in the beginning like he is such a famed and critically acclaimed actor like there's so many notes and so much information on him it's like very hard to compile like we're just looking at the screenshots we're in no way like going to break down every detail of his life if we did that we'd be here all day but just to hit the highlights and really like what kind of makes him iconic in a lot of his fans minds and what stood out to us yeah like i couldn't have said it better like we're not gonna we're not gonna talk about each and every movie um just because we would be here forever and you'd be shutting us off after a half hour um which i hope you don't do because 
I can't, I can promise you we're not going to talk about all of his movies, but I can't promise you that we're going to be less than a half hour because he is a legend and we do want to hit the high notes. And even with just hitting the high notes, there's a lot of high notes. So now, before, before we move forward again, I'm losing you. Piece of information I wanted to, to um, Mr. Jack Nicholson was introduced to a, a gentleman named Stanley Kubrick, who I know we'll be talking about in just a short while. Um, he wanted uh, Nicholson to be cast in the role of Napoleon Bonaparte in a biopic, but the uh, the plans later fell through. However, this wouldn't be the last time we'll hear that name, and I know you're going to hit that in a little bit as well. So, yes, um, and you you cut out you you froze like for a second there. Um, he came back as Stanley Kubrick. Um, so he, he got to meet Stanley Kubrick and I heard the, the biopic thing and everything, but, uh, how did he meet him? Did it say? It didn't say exactly just that they were introduced, um, in the 19, like 1970s, early 1970s. Okay. Um, so, uh, after getting a nomination for the, uh, Academy Award for Easy Rider, um, in 1970, he starred in Five Easy Pieces, which was a surprise hit for everyone involved. Um, he plays a uh, former musical uh, prodigy who uh, picks up, you know, uh, along the way oil rigs when he's not, you know, in bars and motels and doing other things. Um, had uh, co-starring Karen Black uh, from Great Gatsby fame and House of a Thousand Corpses, shout out Rob Zombie. Uh, <laughs> um, also, Sally Struthers from All in the Family, the uh, TV show, was in this. Um, it got Nicholson his second uh, Academy Award nomination for Best Supporting, or no, Best Actor, not Supporting, Best Lead Actor. Um, was this, is this the one, or is that not this? This is, this is one that has a, a fun fact for you guys. So if you've actually sat down and watched this movie, there was a scene where he tries to order just toast. And again, this is um, something that, that's kind of interesting to me. So Jack Nicholson in real life told his story to the director and the screenwriters, like what had happened at a, a Hollywood restaurant called Pupi. I want to say I'm pronouncing that right. If I'm not, I'm so sorry. But um, he had an experience in a restaurant where he tried to order um, just toast. And it was kind of a... Um, a weird situation. They would not let him order just toast and told him he had to order it as a, a part of a chicken sandwich. And there's a famous line in that movie. It's like, well, give me the chicken sandwich. You can hold the chicken between your legs and just give me the toast and I'll pay for the whole thing. So um, just just an interesting thing how part of the actor's personal life got worked in that movie and uh, part of why like that movie wouldn't have been as iconic had he not been a part of it. I'd like a uh, plain omelet, uh, no potatoes, tomatoes instead, a cup of coffee, and toast. No substitution. What do you mean? You don't have any tomatoes? Only what's on the menu. You can have a number two, a plain omelet. It comes with cottage fries and rolls. Yeah, I know what it comes with, but it's not what I want. Well, I'll come back when you make up your mind. Wait a minute. I have made up my mind. I'd like a plain omelet, no potatoes on the plate, a cup of coffee, and a side order of wheat toast. I'm sorry, we don't have any side orders of toast. I'll give you an English muffin or a coffee roll. 
What do you mean you don't make side orders of toast? You make sandwiches, don't you? Would you like to talk to the manager? Hey, Mac. Shut up. You've got bread and a toaster of some kind. I don't make the rules. Okay, I'll make it as easy for you as I can. I'd like an omelet, plain, and a chicken salad sandwich on wheat toast. No mayonnaise, no butter, no lettuce, and a cup of coffee. The number two, chicken salad sand. Hold the butter, the lettuce, the mayonnaise, and a cup of coffee. Anything else? Yeah, now all you have to do is hold the chicken, bring me the toast, give me a check for the chicken salad sandwich, and you haven't broken any rules. You want me to hold the chicken, huh? I want you to hold it between your knees. <laughs> you see that sign, sir? Yes, you all have to leave. I'm not taking any more of your smartness and sarcasm. You see this sign? Exactly. Um, so, uh... He again received the Academy Award nomination uh, for lead actor. Um, he went on to do uh, Carnal Knowledge in 1972. In 73, uh, he portrayed a US Navy petty officer in the uh, dark comedy, uh, The Last Detail, uh, which also uh, had Randy Quaid in it. Um, again, Jack is nominated for the third time, third time, best, best third actor. Yeah. Uh, for an Academy Award for Best Actor, um, three times, three strikeouts. I mean, you're getting nominated. That in itself is something that some people never do. You know, so that in itself is a huge accomplishment. Um, but we know that Nicholson is is going to get there. Um, but. Uh, huh. So his next his next movie would get him another nomination, fourth time. Uh, Chinatown. It's one of his most acclaimed performances uh, of his entire career. Uh, he plays a private eye who's tasked with tracking down a uh, tracking down a murderer. Um, Co-starring Faye Dunaway. Okay, go home. But in case you're interested, your husband was murdered. Somebody has been dumping thousands of tons of water from the city's reservoirs, and we're supposed to be in the middle of a drought. He found out about it, and he was killed. There's a waterlogged drunk in the morgue, involuntary manslaughter if anybody wants to take the trouble, which they don't. It seems like half the city is trying to cover it all up, which is fine by me. But Mrs. Mulray, I goddamn near lost my nose, and I like it. I like breathing through it. And I still think that you're hiding something. Um, uh, as we said, as we mentioned four times, we got the guy in the chair, <laughs> the gal in the chair. I gotta stop saying guy. <laughs> the the guy, the gal in the chair, uh, waving at us. Um, any notes on Chinatown? Um, just that he was again nominated for his fourth Oscar. There uh, did not win the Oscar, unfortunately, but that was the year that he found out that his mom was his sister. Um, and a backtrack just a touch. In uh, 1972, um, I know you had named one of his films, but another iconic movie that came out, The Godfather. I know that's a fan favorite of one of our watchers here, and I wanted to just put a little plug in here for him. Um, he, uh, Jack Nicholson was actually offered the role of Michael Corleone in The Godfather. 
another big name that you had said earlier, Al Pacino, eventually ended up getting that role. He had said no, but uh, something to say that I do want to talk about a little later in this is that growing up, Jack Nicholson, um, before he moved to Los Angeles, worked in a movie theater briefly, and growing up watching the films, he saw Marlon Brando on on screen. I know we'll probably cover Marlon Brando's career at some point, um, but he really looked up to Marlon Brando, and it was kind of like a dream of his to be on screen with him. So why would you turn down a role with one of your biggest role models? Um, the reason being, he gave two. He said, one, he felt that for The Godfather to be authentic, that the role should have went to an Italian gentleman. And um, Al Pacino definitely fits that bill very well. Um, and as far as the um, working with Marlon Brando, he said that the character Michael Corleone in that movie only shared one scene physically with Brando. And with him wanting to be, you know, with his icon, he said, I want to be in something that, that I get to be closer with him on. So that's uh, two big reasons he passed down that film. But but look at how The Godfather turned out. I say just as how picking up a role can make somebody great or make a movie great, declining a role sometimes also because you don't feel you're the right fit also can make a movie great. And the Godfather kind of put Pacino on the map. Mm -hmm. So imagine had Nicholson done it. We might not have gotten the Al Pacino that we got, you know, he might not have found that movie. I mean, I'm sure he would have because he's brilliant, but, uh, you know, his career would look completely different. Um, and Nicholson, Nicholson could have been Pacino <laughs> uh, for all intent and purposes. Uh, you know, he, that's, that's crazy to imagine, but I definitely, yeah, playing Marlon Brando's son, I don't really see it. I definitely... The way they did it, I think, was was for the best. Um, that's crazy, though, because, I mean, if it were me, if someone came to me and said, hey, we have this movie, Michael Keaton's the lead, uh, you, we want you to be second, second bill, but uh, you only get one scene with Keaton. I can't say that I would turn that down just because I only have one scene and I'm holding out hope that maybe someday in the future, I might get another movie. Where I can That's something too that speaks to how he grew as an actor, accepting all of those B-list movie uh, roles, like the minor parts. And granted it's uh, got a cult following, but the little shop of horror horrors and the rest of the things he had done in the early sixties to being able to turn down a movie that he knew was going to be a hit as big as The Godfather. He stated that. He's like, I knew this was going to be a hit. I just didn't want to be part of it. I mean, that's that's crazy, just how he grew in that little bit of time. It's a different little shallow card. It's not the one you're thinking of. Just FYI. Yes, there are two. Yes, The Little Shop of Horrors was uh, redone in the 80s with uh, Rick Moranis. Um, but that's not the one he was in. Um, so carrying right along, uh, 1975, Jack again turned in a amazing performance in, uh, one flew over the cuckoo's nest. The chief put his hand up. The chief put his hand up. Look, he voted. Would you please turn the Would you please turn the television set on? The chief has got his hand up right there. The chief voted. Now, 
Will you please turn the television set on? Mr. McMurphy, the meeting was adjourned and the vote was closed. But the vote was 10 to 8. The chief, he's got his hand up. Look. No, Mr. McMurphy. When the meeting was adjourned, the vote was 9 to 9. Ah, oh, come on. You're not going to say that now. You're not going to say that now. You're going to pull that hen house shit now. When the vote, the chief just voted, it was 10 to 9. Now, I want that television set turned on right now. Uh, he portrays a criminal who uh, pleads insanity and is admitted to a mental institution. Um, he has this crazy nurse that we all know about. Uh, well, hopefully all of us know about. Um <laughs> Nurse Ratchet, yes. He uh, rallies up the uh, scared patients, you know, um, and the cast in this is insane. If you look at the cast, uh, we got Louise Fletcher as Nurse Ratchet. We got Danny DeVito, who you mentioned. This is the first of many times DeVito is going to show up in a Nicholson film or vice versa. But, uh, you know, Danny DeVito, his friend is is in this. Uh, Christopher Lloyd, a very young Christopher Lloyd. Um, or Andrew Lloyd, as Dan liked to call him. Last <laughs> week. <laughs> um, um, I'm going to butcher his last name, but Vincent uh, Schiavelli, um, who, if you don't know who that is, you do know who that is. Um, just Google his name and you'll be like, oh, yeah, that guy. Um, and then Brad Dorff, who, for horror fans, know that he's the voice of uh, Chucky, um, is in this. Also very young. Um, Nicholson was nominated for Best Actor. And guess what? Fifth time's the charm. He finally won the Academy Award for uh, Best uh, Lead Actor for One Flew Over Cuckoo's Nest. I've seen this. It's a terrific film. Um, it's one of those that should always, if you're a film fanatic or even if you're not, it's one of those that, you know, movies to see before you die. It should definitely be on your list. Um, I've seen it. Dan, uh, what are your thoughts on One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest? Uh, truthfully, it's done a wild ride. You're talking about a con artist that gets put in a uh, mental institution to, you know, treat him. Um, he definitely played his card well, trying to act like he was insane. And and ultimately, in the end, again, spoiler alert, you know, ultimately that place becomes his um, undoing. So definitely a, a great movie to watch. I 100% agree. It's kind of weird, but also, side note here, um, again, he wasn't the first pick to play uh, Mr. McMurphy. Uh, that role was turned down by a few people, Marlon Brando, Gene Hackman, Burt Reynolds, and James Kane. So definitely a, a list of high-profile actors again. So he was the fifth choice for this character and would turn out to be an amazing movie so awesome awesome movie all the way around and again i think they ended up with the right person he totally did but i mean if you're jack nicholson and a director comes to you and says hey i got this movie and uh the first four people that i asked have turned me down but i want you i, I for sure want you uh I don't know that I'd take that <laughs> that movie. I mean, especially the big names, Gene Hackman, Marlon Brando. Um, I can't even remember who else you named. Uh, but, you know, those are huge name actors that turn this down, you know, and he says yes. And there, and it goes back to, again, you know, turning down The Godfather and accepting something like this that The Godfather himself passed on. Uh, you know, that's, that's very smart. I mean, it worked in his favor, you know. 
turning down one huge movie and accepting another movie that any other actor might not have been what it is. Um, you know, he definitely made that movie. Um, so the very next year, um, he got his wish, that, that wish that might not have happened that I wouldn't have bet my money on, but he did and it came through. Um, he's with his hero, Marlon, uh, Marlon Brando, excuse me. Um, he plays a uh, horse thief and Brando is a rancher who hires uh, someone to hunt down horse thieves one by one. Uh, Missouri breaks. Um, any anything you have anything on that? Um, not so much on the movie itself, but just on the relationship that ended up getting built between these two men. Um, they had a lot of respect for each other. Um, it was uh, said Jack Nicholson would joke that um, while Brando would be out, they lived right down the road from each other. He called him in an interview, the man on the hill, literally because he was right down the road and up on a hill from him. Um, that he would, Brando, would often stop in Nicholson's home to grab a bite to eat. He'd literally rummage through his refrigerator. And for some reason when he did this, he thought it would be funny to leave behind a pair of underwear like every time he did. So kind of funny. Um, later in life, he said that uh, he knew that he had to be Brando's friend because um, he was able to talk to him on the phone and, and call Brando pal. Um, apparently that's something that Marlon Brando, like if anybody tried to attempt to call him buddy, pal, whatever was, you know, in that time frame, like he just would shut it down, but he let him go. So he said, well, I guess we must be okay. Um, ultimately when Marlon Brando passed away, Nicholson ended up buying his old home and, uh, it was run down. Like it wasn't cared for after Brando passed away. So he bought it. And he ended up tearing it down just so that wasn't left behind as part of his legacy. So it was more of a sign of respect for him. So just an interesting piece of information there, too. Wow. I don't know that I would have tore it down. I think I would have tried to restore it, right? Yeah. With, with the amount of money I'm sure he had, I'm sure he could have. But it might have been painful for him. Like, again, being that house up on the hill just to look over and the man not being there anymore. So I kind of understand it. Yeah. Um, yeah. He would leave his underwear in his house. That was a sign of friendship. <laughs> yeah. Apparently, you know, friendship in the 70s was a little different. <laughs> so, uh yeah, well, watch out next time. Next time I come over. Oh boy, That's all I'm gonna say. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, you know, that was '76. In '78, uh, he again plays a horse thief uh, in Going South. Um, this time he's saved. Uh, he's a horse thief who's saved from uh, getting hung uh, by a bachelorette who marries him, but has ulterior motives. Um, the cast in this is quite astonishing too. Mary Steenburgen, uh, Christopher Lloyd, those two were in Back to the Future 3 together. Um, but uh, Christopher Lloyd ag appearing again in a Nicholson film. And then John Belushi, late John Belushi is also in, in this movie. Uh, it's a comedic performance. Um, but uh, his next big thing uh, come in 1980. And uh, I mean, you. I mean, it's a movie that, even though it, it it still holds relevance in today's society. I mean, we came on and you saw 
my co-host to enter with here's Dan or Danny, whatever you said, uh, you know, it's here's Johnny, you know, that, I mean, Nicholson starred in The Shining, the Stephen King, uh, based on the Stephen King novel, Stanley Kubrick, um, you know, directed, uh, he plays Jack Torrance, um, and the Torrance's, the Torrance family, uh, head to an isolated hotel for the winter to take care of it. Jack gets a job as a, as a caretaker. Um, once there, um, there's kind of like a sinister presence. Kind of Jack starts seeing things and uh, they tell him, you know, essentially to kill his family. Um, his son has the shine. Uh, so he's also seeing uh, scary things, uh, past and future. Um, this movie is one of the biggest movies ever made in that, uh, again, it holds that relevance even all these years later, you know, even if you haven't seen The Shining, people know what it is. Little pigs, little pigs, let me come in. Not by the hair on your chinny chin chin. Then I'll huff, and I'll puff, and I'll blow your house in. With The Shining, we I think we had talked about it a little bit before um, with Jack Nicholson. Like he is, uh, I would say he is a method actor for sure. And there is a viral video of him getting himself pumped up um, in the room outside of the bathroom, like jogging in place, working up his blood, and he's playing with the axe. Like yeah, I'm a killer, I'm a killer, or you are a killer. And uh, when he busts through that door, the iconic "Here's Johnny." Um, was made up by Jack on the spot. Stanley Kubrick loved it. He kept it in the film. Um, and the location that it was shot in is actually the same location. Like Stephen King, for his inspiration on The Shining, um, stayed at a hotel. Um, to him, it was spooky. Um, and so he wrote a book about it. And it's also filmed at the same location that he had stayed. Like, I believe they rented out the whole place or it was closed for the season or whatever. It's like it was in the movie and they ended up filming there. So that's also really, really awesome as well. But, man, those little girls freak me out to this day at the end of the, uh, the hallway. <laughs> um, blood coming out of the elevators pouring. Terrifying. Come and play with us, Danny. Yeah, man. Forever and <laughs> yep. ever and ever. Freaky. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
um, The Shining is a slow build horror movie. Um, you know, my brother recently commented on another podcast uh, as one of his least favorite movies. And I, that in itself is a crying shame. But, uh, you know, I think that the generation gap is, is what does it because, you know, you go into it expecting, you know, when people ask me, what's your favorite horror movie? I no no BS, not because we're talking about Nicholson. I always say The Shining. Um, and when people finally watch it, if they haven't seen it, um, you know, they're like, why is she waving? I do. I, I want to um, put something in there. Oh, OK. Even though uh, it's a fan favorite across the world, it's actually Stephen King actually hates that rendition of it. He does. Yes, he absolutely hates it. He loathes it. Yes, so um, much that he produced a mini-series version of it in the nineties. He did. Yep. There you go. <laughs> uh, yes. Um, so Stephen King, like she mentioned, uh, despises this movie because it veers so far from his source material. Mm -hmm. um, and he did in the nineties do it. Miniseries TV movie. Um, it was closer to the yeah to the book. Um, but when they did the sequel, Doctor Sleep, and everyone was kind of like, "Well, the book and the movie are both huge in their own right, but they're so totally different, and the endings are so totally different. How do we do a sequel, and which version do we do a sequel of?" I think they did a brilliant job of kind of combining the two and doing the Doctor Sleep sequel. You know, that movie was scary. I, yeah. I will definitely have to do a, a, a thing on that movie. I'm sure like, Caleb probably won't be a part of that yeah. one, but <laughs> definitely we'll have to talk about that one too. Okay. There's, a scene, there's a scene in Dr. Sleep, and I think anyone who's seen it will know what scene I'm talking about. Yeah. yeah. It was probably the hardest scene to watch that movie. of almost that. any movie. And it wasn't even that, I mean, it was violent, but it wasn't even that violent. It was just what was happening in it was brutal to watch. Um, even like it's, when I say violent, I don't mean like what was happening was definitely violent, but like as far as like blood and guts, it wasn't like that bad, but uh, it was just brutal to watch. Um, anyway, getting off track, Dr. Sleep did a great job of doing being a sequel to both the book and the movie. Um, but uh, you know, so I I lost where I was originally going. Um, back to 1981, Eugene. He played uh, Eugene O'Neill in the film Reds. Okay. Are we <laughs> done with The Shining? Uh, I think we are. Okay. <laughs> um, so there's Johnny, kids. Um, <laughs> um, all right. So, yeah. He, he, Reds with Diane Keaton. The first time he worked with Diane Keaton. Reds, 1981. Uh, he also worked with Jessica Lange. Uh, like, and uh, the postman always rings twice. Um, in 1982, he did The Border. Uh, in 83, he did his next big movie um, alongside Shirley MacLaine, Deborah Winger, again, Danny DeVito. Um, um, this movie won him his second Academy Award. Second or third? Second. Yeah, but this was his second. Second. Uh, that movie is a Oscar. Oscar Academy Award, same same thing. Uh, terms of endearment. Oh, just look great. Fine. Great. Park 
in my driveway, you're breaking the law! Thank you! Would you like to come in? I'd rather stick needles in my eyes. Everything would have been just fine, you know, if you hadn't gotten drunk. I mean, I was... I, I just didn't want you to think I was like one of your other girls. Not much danger in that unless you curtsy on my face real soon. Garrett! What is it that makes you so insistent on shocking and insulting me? I mean, I really hate that way of talking. You must know that. Why do you do it? I'll tell you, Aurora, I... What it is about you, but you do bring out the devil in me. 87, uh, he did one of my favorite performances, um, The Witches of Eastwick. Uh, this is not a big movie. This is not a, this is kind of like a cult following. It has a cult I think I've seen. Um, following of sorts. Not everyone loves this movie. It's definitely weird. Um, Cher, Michelle Pfeiffer, Susan Sarandon are all witches, and Nicholson plays the devil. Trouble. Little trouble at home. Little domestic problem. Nothing to be alarmed at. Uh, just a little female problem. Hi. We do have a, an interesting fact on that. So how he got involved in that project is kind of interesting. It was either his ex-wife or his um, girlfriend at the time was in talks to be um, what Cher's character ended up being in, in that film. Um, he said it was Angelica. Angelica Houston, yeah. It was Angelica Houston. So um, she ended up not getting that role, but because he had heard about it from her, he got on the phone, he called them, he's like, hey, I want to be a part of this. And they're like, absolutely, you can be a part of this. And that's kind of how he fell into that role. So it's just, again, like somebody calls you, like Jack Nicholson's like, yeah, I want to be in this. And they're like, why not, man? Come on in. <laughs> hey, 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 Bobby. Hey, Jack Nicholson's on the phone. He wants to be in your movie. <laughs> okay, he's in the movie. But we ain't got no part for him. Oh, we'll make a part. Well, what's he going to be? He'll be Satan. Satan. <laughs> yeah, we want you to be Satan. All right, I'm in. I mean, why wouldn't you? I mean, yeah, that's crazy. Why that's would something you? that a lot of the big actors like end up playing the devil at some point? Pacino. We talked. Yeah, about I know. For real, right? <laughs> uh, you know, the devil's advocate with Pacino, um, for sure. Um, 1989. Ooh, good year. Uh, 
he gets cast in Tim Burton's Batman. That you, Sugar Bumps? Who the hell are you? It's me, Sugar Bumps. Oh, oh, thank God you're alive. I heard you been fried. Is that what you heard? You set me up over a woman. A woman! You must be insane. plays the Joker in the first live action um, Batman movie. Well, I guess technically the first. There was a movie done in the 60s that was based on the TV show. Um, but the first, you know, for all intent and purposes, first live action Batman film, um, especially coming off the 78 Superman Chris Reeve films, um, Batman hadn't been done. Last time Batman had been done was in the 60s. Um, so it was very corny and cheesy and packed. No, it wasn't. What'd she say? No, it wasn't. I don't think it was corny or cheesy. I love it. Oh, I love it. But I, but I, it's cheesy. It's definitely cartoonish yeah. in certain senses, but that's like Tim Burton's, like his stamp on that. Well, no, I'm not, I'm talking about the 60s. Oh, the 60s. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, the 60s version is very cartoony. Pow, wham, oh, yeah, bat. I love it, though. <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah, I'm not knocking it by any stretch of the imagination, but uh, but it's just, it is that. And uh, so when, you know, when Nicholson's cast, which almost didn't happen because Tim Burton has said that he always wanted Nicholson from the very beginning to play the Joker, but Nicholson, they couldn't come to an agreement. Um and then so Tim Burton has admitted that he took in order, he purposely played mind games with Jack, hoping that it would work. Uh, he went and started having discussions with Robin Williams uh, to play the Joker. And everything was kind of all set in stone, except for signing a contract that Williams was going to play the Joker. And when Jack got word of this, uh, Burton's plan worked and Burton's people reached out or Burton Nicholson's people reached out and uh you know said hey we yes in the oh, back i have something to add to that afterwards okay go I ahead it afterwards okay um so uh so nicholson ends up getting the part he plays the joker he gets top billing over michael keaton who uh again was a very controversial cast pick um because batman was they, they built it up this is going to be the dark Batman. This is going to be a serious Batman. 
And who do they cast? Beetlejuice himself, <laughs> you know, Mr. Mom. Uh, so, you know, that, well, this is obviously, this is not a Michael Keaton podcast, even though, hey, future idea. Uh, <laughs> um, people were outraged, you know, sent letters and like protested, you know, we don't want Michael Keaton. Now, all these years later, 30 some odd years later, Keaton is back in the flash playing Batman again. Um, but, uh, you know, at the time it was very controversial. Um, and Nicholson is billed above the main star, uh, above Batman himself, you know, the title reads Jack Nicholson, Michael Keaton, not Michael Keaton, Jack Nicholson. Um, and part of that is um, because of, I think part of that is because of the, the casting choices, you know, Nicholson brought people to the theater, the people that were unsure of Keaton knew that they would get a great performance from Jack. So, um, and the other part of that is I'm sure in his contract, you know, hey, I'm the, I'm the star here, you know. And that's uh, before I turn it over to Kayla for her comment. Um, I did want to say, you know, I know we're talking about the billing, but also the payday. So Burton uh, may have gotten Nicholson in. Nicholson definitely at this point in his career knew how to work a contract. Um, he ended up getting uh, money from merchandising on both of those uh, films and that, um, which uh, wanted to be a trilogy, but unfortunately never made it that far. But uh, with that, he ended up making between 60 and $90 million, which in that time is like unheard of. So he's definitely one of the top paid um, stars. And at that point, I think we could definitely classify him as a superstar in, uh, in Hollywood. So good job, Jack. So what do you have to add, Miss Kay? Um, just talking about how Tim Burton went to Robin Williams um, for this film, Robin Williams was also considered for the lead role in The Shining as well. So just to tie in those two things. So he was one of the contenders as well. And well, there you have it. I had yeah, I, that. <laughs> I thought she was going with uh, Batman Forever. I thought that she was about to hit us with that because uh, he was again approached uh, for Batman Forever to be the Riddler, which uh, once Jim Carrey came along, he was dropped again. So. Robin always had Robin publicly in interviews had a bad taste in his mouth for uh, Batman films for that reason because you know, he was more or less toyed with twice. Like here it is, just kidding. I'm taking it away. Um, so, yeah, I think he would have done well probably as a Riddler, um, but as a Joker, man, we talk about like Joker performances. Each of them brings their own flavor, but um, when you talk about like iconic. Jack Nicholson will always be an iconic, like, he brought the mobster Joker into play, like, and he did a very good job of that, so it's just hard to imagine anybody else doing that role, too. I know I've said that, like, five or six times on this podcast, but it really is just, like, it's just amazing how, like, what is his shape, my viewpoint on that. If you look at his filmography, you'll be hard to find a movie that wouldn't be as big as it is. With, without him in it. I mean, you take and replace him with any other actor, whatever the movie is, probably not as big of a movie, you know, uh, or at least not as memorable. Even if it's a movie of his that maybe didn't get so big, we're still, it's still semi-memorable because he's in it, you know? 
Um, whereas if you take if you take him out of as good as it gets, or uh, uh, you know any of his later stuff, especially, you know, wouldn't you know wouldn't be close to the same. Um, after Batman, he actually does a sequel to Chinatown, uh, the Two Jakes. Um, so that I mean that tells you right there how big that movie was. We we brushed over Chinatown a little bit, but uh, you know that, that it spawned a sequel, a movie from the seventies, which nowadays is not as as not as rare. But back then it was very rare. A movie from decades before would get a sequel decades later. You know nowadays that's the thing. You know, but uh, back then that was unheard of. So that in itself is huge. Um, Nineteen ninety two. Um, he would play again. He would be one of his biggest, most memorable performances. I feel like again. I feel like I'm saying that every every time. Um, he played Colonel Nathan Jessup in a movie where he only has probably 15, 20 minutes total screen time, uh, but the, in a two-hour movie. Uh, of course, we're talking about a few good men. And why did he have to be transferred? Colonel, Lieutenant Kendrick ordered the code red, didn't he? Because that's what you told Lieutenant Kendrick to do. Object! And when it went bad, you cut of... these guys loose! Your Honor, you had markets inside a phony transfer. Your Honor, you doctored the logbook. Damn it, Captain! You coerced the doctor. Consider yourself in contempt. Colonel Jessup, did you order the code red? You don't have to answer that question. I'll answer the question. You want answers? I think I'm entitled to You want answers! I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Son, we live in a world that has walls, and those walls have to be guarded by men with guns. Who's gonna do it? You? You, Lieutenant Weinberg? I have a greater responsibility than you can possibly fathom. You weep for Santiago, and you curse the Marines. You have that luxury. You have the luxury of not knowing what I know, that Santiago's death, while tragic, probably saved lives. And my existence, while grotesque and incomprehensible to you, saves lives. You don't want the truth because deep down in places you don't talk about at parties. You want me on that wall. You need me on that wall. Uh, starring uh, Tom Cruise, Demi Moore, Kevin Bacon. Um, Nicholson plays this colonel who may or may not have given orders to kill a fellow Marine. And it's kind of like a courtroom movie. And of course, one of the most iconic uh, movie quotes and scenes in movie history is Jack, you know, saying, you can't handle the truth to, to Tom Cruise. Um, you know, that movie's huge and, and, you know, again, goes to show star power that he has you know when people watch that movie i know i did when i first saw it i watched that thinking Nicholson was going to be a bigger part of it i mean he's even billed in the you know i think tom cruise i don't i forget the exact billing but i think it goes tom cruise demi moore jack nicholson um and nicholson's hardly in it you know you wait for him if you're watching it for him you wait for him and you wait for him and then he finally shows up and then he kind of goes away and then he comes again for a few minutes and he goes away. You know, he's, he's not in it very long at all. Um, that just goes to show you, you know, still that movie is a huge movie on its own right. But as far as Nicholson's concerned, it's considered one of his biggest movies because of the performance he turned in. Um, 
92. Uh, he did Hoffa again with Mr. Danny DeVito, which I also wanted to mention Danny DeVito in 92 uh, did Batman Returns. So not only are these two friends, not only are they acting together, but they're both in Batman movies just a couple years apart from each other. You got to imagine there had to be something there that either, I, I don't know, but I mean, maybe Nicholson recommended or maybe, you know, I don't know for sure. But uh, you have to think there's some talking going on there. Hey, you were just in Batman, should I do this or something, you know, um, you know. Uh, 94, we saw Wolf with Michelle Pfeiffer again. Catwoman from Batman Returns. Um, 95, he's actually with his wife, Angelica Houston, who is now ex-wife um, in The Crossing Guard. That's a really good movie. For those who have not seen it, I highly recommend. I don't think they were married. I don't think they were married when they, uh, when they did that movie. No, they I think they were actually split up. They were engaged for 17 years. Did they, were they never married? Never married. Never married. Wow. It's a long time to be engaged. Sorry. I don't think I would have well, stayed. That's that's something about Jack too, though. Um, I mean, while we're on the subject, like he was kind of a playboy in Hollywood, and even though he was in a, um, you know, uh, he was married at first, had a divorce, and had a long-term girlfriend. Like it was famously stated by his ex-wife that one time they visited Paris, there's a woman that rides by them on a bicycle. And he literally goes and chases her down because he's interested in her, like with his wife or whatever, standing there in Paris, just like, what is going on? So, um, and so he gets away with it, you know, you know, nowadays times are different and might not get away with it. But, uh, you know, in those days, plus he's one of the biggest names in the world, uh, you know, he, you know, yeah, I agree. He was definitely a player. Um, 1996, uh, he again reunited with Tim Burton. Uh, this time it would be a uh, cheesy sci-fi comedy. Um, he actually, actually played two parts, uh, but the main part was uh, the President of the United States um, alongside Glenn Close, Pierce Brosnan, Sarah Jessica Parker, Michael J. Fox. Um, who's that? God, I love this movie. <laughs> Who was the other guy in it? Oh, yeah, Danny DeVito. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Of course, we're talking about Mars Attacks. Yeah, you said that. Um, if, uh, if you haven't seen this movie, go watch it purely for the fun. It's just a fun movie. I mean, it's cheesy as hell, but it's so fun to watch. Um, I could watch it I don't know if I could watch it all day. I could watch it twice in one day. <laughs> um. Why are you doing this? Why? Isn't the universe big enough for both of us? <laughs> what is wrong with you people? We could work together. Why be enemies? Because we're different? Is that why? Think of the things that we could do. Think how strong we would be. Earth and Mars. Uh, 
Oh, Jack Black was in it too. Jack Black was in it. Yeah. It had to be one of his, I have to look it up, but it had to be one of his earlier first movies because yeah, he, he wasn't in it very long and his, uh, he definitely uh, co-starred with a skeleton on that one. Yes. <laughs> you know, so many big names are in that. Now, you know, just the handful that I named aren't even all, you know, um, but I mean, you have the epitome of the nineties in that movie. Um, the next year he would uh, play an author um, who forms an unlikely friendship. You can tell I'm reading. <laughs> it forms an unlikely friendship uh, with a single mom waitress and a gay artist after the artist is uh, assaulted and robbed. Um, as good as it gets. Um, have you seen this? Yes, I have. As a, What would you say, Gay? Have you seen it? I love that movie. I love it. It's a very good movie. I'm, I'm very picky. Okay. When it comes, well, I'm picky when it comes to comedy, and I'm and I'm picky when it comes to romantic comedies or chick flicks or whatever you want to call them. Um, rom coms, I think, are the is the current name for them. <laughs> um, but the, I'm, but this is a good one. This is one definitely worth checking out. Uh, Jack again turns in another great performance. Um, the 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 friendship that the, the uh, chemistry is the word I'm looking for between him and Helen Hunt and even uh, Greg uh, Kinnear uh, who plays the, the gay artist mm -hmm. um, very very good acting by all three uh, very good movie um, 2001 he starred in another one of my favorite movies The Pledge um, where he makes a promise to uh, the mother of a murdered young girl that he even on his retirement the day he's supposed to retire um, a young girl gets brutally murdered and he makes a promise uh, to the mom that he stop at nothing to find the killer, um, even after retirement. Uh, 2002, about Schmidt. Um, he's a retired man who embarks on a journey uh, to his estranged daughter's wedding, um, where again, you know, he learns stuff about himself and life that he never expected. Um, 2003, we get uh, a very popular one with a lot of fans, one that I'm actually not very fond of, but I realize I'm in the minority. Um, Anger Management with Adam Sandler. Whoa, 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 man. Holy shit, what are you doing? I need you to unfluster. My boss is gonna go nuts on me if we're late, so please. We will proceed when you are centered. I'm centered, I'm centered, I'm centered. Come on, there's 10,000 people behind us. Let's go, crazy man. What is that? Is that good? We're going to sing a song. No, I don't want to sing a song. I want to go to, I want to, I gotta go. Ah, here we go. The magic of Leonard Bernstein and Stephen Sondheim's West Side Story. I feel pretty. Let's get this thing moving. What the hell's your problem? Shut your pie hole. We're working here. Wow, sorry. <laughs> Bum, bum, bum. Bum, bum, bum. Bum, bum, bum. I feel pretty. Oh, so pretty. I feel pretty and witty and gay. Um. Uh, iconic scene with John C. Riley, man. 
He's, uh, I guess, John C. Riley was a bully in his um, childhood, and we're confronting him with uh, Adam Sandler. We're confronting in his past um, the bullies, and he's saying he goes to meet him, and he's not a bully anymore. He's turned into a Buddhist monk, and then ultimately he ends up getting a wedgie from, I believe, Sandler and uh, <laughs> Jack Nicholson both, where Nicholson, uh, they start getting chased. He pulls out a water pistol on him, starts shooting the water pistol at him, and then they like haul haul butt to the uh, the car to get away. So there are a lot of funny movements, uh, and I'm on the opposite side of that. I really do like like anger management. I've only seen it twice: once when it came out in 2003, and then probably one other time, maybe 10 years ago or so. Um, it's definitely one I probably should revisit because that happens a lot with me. I'll watch something and not like it, and then years later I'll go back and watch it again and love it. Um, I'm very, but like I said, I'm very picky when it comes to my comedy. Um, it, it has no rhyme or reason or rhythm to it. Like I think Will Ferrell is the dumbest thing in the world, but I love Jim Carrey. Ooh. <laughs> um, that's, that's funny. Cause I'm not truly a, a big fan of Will Ferrell either. I think he does have some good films, but uh, I'm, I'm with you. I'm not a huge fan. <laughs> Yeah, but I love Jim Carrey, which a lot of fans of Will Ferrell will be like, Jim Carrey is the 90s Will Ferrell. And I see that, but like, I just think Jim does it better. Sorry, not sorry. Um, 2003 also, big year. Uh, something's got to give. Um, Diane Keaton again, reunited with her. This time Keanu Reeves is along for the ride. Um, he's a swinger who, hello, <laughs> we just kind of talked about he kind of was in real life. Um, who's on the verge of being a senior citizen and uh, has a taste for the young ones, shall we say, um, but ends up falling in love with an accomplished uh, woman closer to his age. So we get another rom-com, romantic comedy there. Um, decent, decent movie. You think? Oh, absolutely. And honestly, I think what ended up driving him to, um, to kind of calm down in his life was the fact that he had a heart attack. Um, I don't think he's had any issues like that in his later life. I know we will probably talk about his health towards the very end of this podcast, but it's interesting to see. Um, I almost feel like this kind of reflects how he feels in real life. Um, he is or has been stated that the only thing that he, he regrets is that because of his age now, and you know, he wasn't as old then as he is now, but um that he was afraid that, or he knew that he's at this point not probably going to be with anyone else and that he's probably going to die alone. And that is one of his biggest regrets. That's heartbreaking. Almost, I almost welled up as you were saying that. Um, I, I do remember him saying that or reading that in an interview um, that he's probably going to die alone because of the choices he made earlier in life. And that is, that is sad. Um, 2006. Um, big, big one. Big one. Probably his last really big one. His last, yeah, arguably, well, not even arguably, his last huge movie, um, The Departed, uh, where he plays a mob boss who has a mole in his operation, and he's trying to find the mole. Um, everyone is in this, like, so, but The Departed starring everyone. Um, you know, DiCaprio, Matt Damon, Mark Wahlberg, Alec Baldwin, Martin Sheen. Oh God, who else? Everyone is in this. Um, 
you know, Nicholson, of course, uh, this is one that, you know, stands out to me as being his last, as we said, obviously his last big performance, but also like his last Jack performance. Like, uh, you know, he has that signature, you know, Hollywood, you know, every, everyone in Hollywood, you, I mean, I'm not in Hollywood, so I don't know, but, but, you know, from watching the interviews and hearing people talk like I do, you know, people say Jack, that's what you got to say, you know, they know who you're talking about. Um, he has this iconic stamp that he puts on everything. And I feel like The Departed was his last Jack movie. I still don't believe he was a cop. I don't believe it. The cops are saying he's a cop. So I won't look for the cop. Are you soft, Fitz? When I tell you to dump a body in the marsh, you dump him in the marsh. Not where some guy from John Hancock goes every Thursday to get a fucking blowjob! Don't laugh! This ain't reality TV! Um. And it's kind of sad because the last movie that he did end up doing um, was not that. I would have much rather it been this or maybe even the next movie that he did. Um, but, uh, you know, for what it's worth, The Departed still one of his last, I think one of his last three. And uh, still a very big movie, a very good way to kind of wind things down. And, uh, you know, but what are your thoughts on The Departed? Great movie. Um, I don't know if I said anything else, Kayla would probably attack me here. <laughs> um, but uh, honestly, it was. You had a lot of big names, Leonardo DiCaprio. Um, we had Wahlberg in it. We had everybody in that film did such a good job. And I think it's a really hard job to have a movie with so many like top-tier, grade-A actors and to have them come together and make something that's so... Fluid, I guess, would be a good word for it. Um, everybody did what they were supposed to do. Turned out great performances, literally on every level. And then you end up with this. And I, I don't think that um, if you had like experienced actors in it, I'm sure that um, at this point, Jack Nicholson definitely was part of kind of that glue that brought all that together, um, as well as Mr. Sheen as well. But uh, but definitely having those like seasoned, vetted actors in there, I'm sure definitely got that movie you know to be what it is as well. For sure. Does she not like The Departed? Why would she? Oh, she loves it. No, I'm saying if I said that I did not like The Departed, oh. she'd be probably coming at me right now. Okay. <laughs> um. Okay, so um, very next year, uh, an unlikely pairing of sorts. Uh, he co-stars along with Morgan Freeman uh, yeah. in The Bucket List, which, again, this is another one that if The Departed couldn't have been his last one, I wish that this one could have, because it's such a heartwarming, emotional film. Um, and it is exactly what it sounds like. Uh, two older gentlemen are uh, essentially dying of cancer and... Uh, create a bucket list of crazy things they want to do before they leave this earth. And it's just a fun, fun movie and, you know, tearjerker and, you know, uh, Morgan Freeman, you know, is not someone I would have put up with. Let's get Morgan Freeman and Jack Nicholson in a movie together. But I mean, they work so well off one another and, you know, chemistry is definitely there. And, uh, you know, this one's definitely one worth checking out for sure. Um, 
which brings us to what would be his final movie to date. Um, by the way, for those that don't know, Jack Nicholson is not dead. He's still alive, as far as I know, in good health and standing. Um, we're talking about him like he's no longer here, but he is. He's very much here, um, hopefully here for, for many more years. He just celebrated a birthday, as we mentioned at the top of the show. Uh, he's 84 years old. Um, but in 2010, he would star in his last movie to date, uh, How Do You Know, uh, which starred uh, Paul Rudd. Georgie. George. Uh, let's go inside. I, I have a date. Date? Son, we are in a rapidly evolving situation here. I must tell you, I was afraid to use the telephone. Because? No, 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 don't, 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 don't tell me. I, I'm not ready to take on anything that I'm not, I can't handle. George. No, you know what, you know what? I know exactly how I'm gonna handle the situation. I'm gonna treat myself like a company in trouble. What I think is you are just indulging in a lot of neuroses here. No, you start taking on more than you're ready for. The game becomes about how much you can take on instead of how well you handle it. And uh, that applies right now. Stand still. No. You do not have the luxury of not hearing this. God, are you gonna make me literally run from bad news? The board has these. Um. I have not seen this. I don't know much about this. Uh, it's another one of those rom-com things, <laughs> and uh, and and it's, I knew I do know he has a smaller part, um, and I do I feel like again have not seen it. I'm not judging the movie. Um, it could be a great movie, but uh, I feel like the the selfish part of me wishes that uh, this was not his last movie. You know, whether it be uh, a cameo and uh, and. Uh, Dr. Sleep or, or just some, you know, like uh, Scorsese just did that Netflix movie with Pacino and De Niro and uh, The Irishman. Mm -hmm. It was Joe Pesci. I'm sorry, it's late at night as we record this. And my brain is functioning. <laughs> so uh, Joe Pesci had retired for decades and Scorsese got him to come out of retirement to do The Irishman. You know, I'm I'm holding out hope that one day, you know, we'll get uh, yeah, even just a small Jack performance one more time. Um, but uh, you know, if that never happens, the man has had one heck of a career, um, and he went out on his own terms. You know, he went out because he, I mean, he no one made him retire, but um, and I don't. He's never publicly commented on this, so I don't know that any of this is true but the rumor uh and innuendo if you will uh is that uh the reason he stopped was because he was having trouble during how do you know um memorizing lines and uh according to different uh people on set of that film just he wasn't himself and wasn't you know couldn't do it the way he wanted to do and he had supposedly again this is not even secondhand. This is like 15th hand. So I don't know that this is true, but supposedly he had told people that, you know, he wanted this to be his last because he couldn't do it the way that he used to do it. And, you know, he didn't want to turn in like, you know, performances that weren't as good as he was used to be capable. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly right. And that's something Kayla just said behind me. I don't know if you guys heard, but Marlon Brando later in his career, definitely started going down that. So that might've been uh, a reason Jack looked at that and was like, that's something I do not want to do. Yeah. I mean, as, as much as I would love for him to 
be in more, you know, if, if he's not capable or if he does it just for the check and turns in a performance that's not Jack, that's not good, that's not to the caliber that he's always done, then it's not worth it. Cause then you watch that and then God forbid something does happen to him. You're like, man, he went out on, on that, you know? So at least this, he, you know, he, he, he went out on his own terms, even if it wasn't necessarily the movie that I or you or whoever might've wanted to see him in with, you know? Um, but as far as I know, Jack is in good spirits. He's in good health. Um, the last time, I mean, he goes to Lakers games, not as much as he used to, but he's a humongous Lakers fan. Um, always at the home games, you know, front row, you you'll almost always see him. Um, when Kobe Bryant passed away last year was the last time I think that anyone has publicly heard from, from Jack. Uh, he did a phone interview, um, basically talking about Kobe and, uh, you know, their friendship and you know, the loss there of him and his daughter. Um, you have a story about a basketball or something, right? Well, I think we might be talking about the same interview. Um, he had just was talking about how, when he met Kobe Bryant, that, um, he had a basketball on his hands and he, he walks up to Mr. Bryant and he's holding the basketball kind of like most fans would like, yeah, we saw my stuff. And instead of asking for Kobe's autograph, he's like, do you want me to autograph this ball for you? And, um, it's definitely something with, uh, Jack Nicholson, Mr. Jack Nicholson, that he is, um, you know, he's a prankster. He likes to play around. You feel that in a lot of his characters It is kind of light. I think, um, it was a nice story. Just, just to kind of outline a little bit. And they did later talk back and forth. Don't think there was any clarification as to whether either of them ended up getting an autograph from each other, but, you know, you, you'd hope so. But uh, definitely a light story. The funny thing is I can hear him saying it in that... Uh, not uh, Nicholson himself, I'm not calling arrogant, but in that arrogant tone that he's got, <laughs> you know, would you want me to sign this for you? You know, I can hear it. Uh, you, know, oh, you know, only Jack. But uh, that's it. That that wraps us up. I mean, we covered the majority of his career. Um, we hope you enjoyed this. Um, we're not going to always do deep dives. Next week, we're going to actually get into a movie. Two nerds in a movie. We're going to actually have that movie uh, this uh, next week. So be sure to tune in for that. But um, this was fun. Did you? I hope you had, did. You have a good time, sir. I absolutely did, and we're talking about, again, somebody who, he's the, the male with the most number of Oscars. Um, he had three Oscars. Um, the only person had more than him currently was uh, Catherine Hepburn. She had four. Um, he was nominated for an Academy Award every decade while he had acted. Talking about being nominated 12 times over the course of his career, which I know we were trying to count him out, but that's huge and i did want to have one closing note just with jack i feel like it's a good way to end it with him just um he would ask you know how do you relate to your characters like when we see you on the film like do you have any components of yourself that are that are in the film and he said i'm none of them and i'm all of them there's a little bit of me i suppose in every part i play as an actor you can't help inserting yourself especially if you love acting and I think that from the movies that we've talked about, you can definitely tell that he loved acting and uh, he was really good at it. Don't cheer up. <laughs> He's not dead. I just got to tell <laughs> um, Jack Nicholson, 
legend, uh, great, great, great uh, actor. Um, if you have not seen any of these movies that we've talked about, do yourself the favor, go find them. Mo a lot of them are on, you know, the streaming services, the Netflixes, the, you know, the Hulus, the Stars, the HBOs, you know, they're out there. If not, you know, a lot of them could probably be picked up in the $5 Walmart DVD bin, you know. Um, definitely go check them out. Um, and again, we didn't even touch a lot of stuff that he did that are very good. I mean, there's stuff that we didn't even name, and then there's stuff that we just kind of breezed by and just touched with a feather, <laughs> you know, that are good films that, you know, again, we just, we would be here all day long talking. So, uh, you know, any final thoughts on Jack Nicholson other than what we've already said? Um, I think uh, I've definitely said um, what we had to. And again, like I hope you guys in the comments who, who left us uh, some information, hopefully you learned something new. I know I learned a heck of a lot that I did not know. And it definitely makes you look at these actors with a different perspective, kind of seeing their entire career and being like, because I, I think a lot of times you're like, man, you know, actors, they've got it made. But um, I mean, a lot of it comes down to hard work. And in a lot of this, it came down to luck too, being in the right place, meeting the right people, the right people saying no to parts. And honestly, to Mr. Nicholson's credit, saying yes to the right parts. And he did that a lot. Nobody does it quite like Jack does it. Uh, I'm sure there's lots of ladies that would agree with that. Um, anyway, on that note, um, guys, we will be back next week um, with a movie. Um, now, how are we going to do this? Do are we going to are we going to randomize it? Or are we going to um, so I think we had some uh, folks who brought us movies that uh, they talked to us verbally about. We had some text messages that came through. We also had a few, I believe, in the comments here, which while we're on the subject, just briefly, if you like our, um, what you see here, please subscribe to the channel. Please like the channel. Um, we definitely want you guys to keep coming back. Leave feedback. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, and we'll definitely incorporate that. But keep bringing those suggestions in because there's a lot of movies Matt and I haven't watched that we wouldn't think to watch. But you let us know, and we'll definitely uh, put that in, in the randomizer. And I think that sounds like a good idea. I think we talked briefly about it beforehand. Let's take everything, plop it in a randomizer, see what comes out, and we'll figure out what movie we're watching this week. Exactly. Um, so, you know, like he kind of touched on the guys that left the comments for the movies uh, last week. Thank you so much. Please continue to do that. We see them. We're going to get to them. We promise. Um, but uh, we're going, and sometimes we're, we may not just always do the randomizer. Sometimes we may just be like, you know what, this week we're going to do this. Um, but for now, uh, this, this next coming week, we, we stuck all the suggestions we got, plus stuff of our own, um, into a randomizer. We're going to spin the wheel. And you'll see it at the end of this. So stay tuned. After we sign off, you know, stay tuned because the wheel is going to go spinning and we're going to reveal um, exactly what we're watching. Um, as of this, we do not know what we're watching. Uh, so you guys are in the future. You know, even though, you know, you guys watching know what we're going to be talking about next, whereas we right now do not. So it's kind so of So this is like a back to the future or like days of future past? Yes, it's all of the above. <laughs> days of future, days of back to the future. 
There, there go. we go. <laughs> yeah. um, so that's it for me. Um, Dan, we kind of hit on it. They can find you on Facebook, right? Yes, please. Um, if you guys want to email me, I know I said that in the first podcast. You're more than welcome to. Um, I am on Facebook. I am unfortunately like um, not very active in any other social media, but you can look me up. Um, I'll share the videos on my social media page so you guys can follow. But um, definitely looking forward to keep doing this with you. I'm having a lot of fun doing this, and let's hope we can continue doing it for a while. And I am on all the things that you can think of uh, at Matthew Winstead, W-I-N-S-T-E-A-D, all together as one word. Um, that's it for us. Uh, everybody have a great weekend. Um, have a great week next week. We'll see you next week. Uh, uh, Kayla, we didn't even, hello. Um, I, am, I am so sorry. Uh, where can they find you? Um, I'm not on Facebook. I am on Instagram, um, but I definitely use Instagram for more of a personal thing. Um, so I really don't know. Um, you can find me through Dan, pretty much. <laughs> I'm lurking in the shadows behind. Yes. Always there. That's a true statement, folks. It's <laughs> it's almost like the shining on the uh, the scare factor there. So. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you guys so much. Um, we will see you next time. Everybody, love one another. Um, peace out.